Right, this coming week, Wednesday to be exact, marks two years since the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern made the announcement that New Zealand would go into its first national lockdown. It was the start of a very different way of life for us all, an uncertain time and one that has come with a lot of heartbreak for so many people. But Omicron has changed the game a bit, hasn't it? To reflect and also look ahead to what's next, I'm now joined by the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Good morning, Prime Minister. Good morning. It has occurred to me that we probably don't have the time to, required today to answer my first question, but as the question is, what's been the most challenging aspect of the last two years? You're right. I think I think probably the thing I would struggle with the most is is just picking is picking one thing really. Um, for, for me, it was really it's been the unknowns, and this pandemic has been accompanied by such uncertainty. And you started by reflecting the fact that we're about to hit an anniversary of that um, of that first lockdown. And I still vividly remember the the cabinet where we met for the last time as a group and made that decision uh, to essentially uh, close close down and feeling the magnitude of that decision. And the only thing that I could at that time liken it to is the magnitude of the decision to close our borders. But that was COVID. Everything felt extreme and unprecedented the response required was so enormous because facing all of us was this deadly pandemic with no protection for anyone other than uh, trying our best to keep our people away from it so the hardest thing has essentially just been the unknown uh, not knowing what was coming next not knowing how to best protect our people and knowing if you made the wrong decision it's very hard to then to then claw back from that have you felt sort of through this process that it's been a bit, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about some of the most heartbreaking elements of the of the tools that we've had to use, for instance, the borders have undoubtedly been one of the things that has led New Zealand to be so successful. The ability, for instance, for us now to be in a position uh, where as we reopen, we've we've had one of the lowest um, uh, rates of, of death in the OECD. The border has been critical to that, but at the same time, it has caused such heartache. And one of the things that's been so hard is that there's been a bit of an assumption that we could do both, um, but but um, you know, unfortunately, we we couldn't. The trade off there were these huge trade offs being made all the way through, and it had an, an enormous impact on people. But the alternatives, um, you know, it goes without saying, some of the alternatives were just were just horrific. Because along the way, you've had to weigh up personal pain and sacrifice versus the public yeah. health when making yes. those decisions. As you say, uh, a, a lot of them came with a real human cost, whether it's the yeah. border restrictions or the limits in funerals and tangies or yeah. vaccine passes yeah. and mandates. You know, there's a lot of hurt and anger and grief that will yeah. linger with that. Is that regrettable? Yeah, and, and look, you're right. A lot of these decisions, they they came with huge sacrifice, uh, pain for many, and in some cases um, for others, where, for instance, it was around you know the use of things like mandates. Of course, that had an impact too. And I think the hardest thing in all of that is it's very hard to demonstrate the counterfactual. You'll remember, of course, when we made the decision to use things like passes and mandates, that was, uh, as we were trying to exit, an extraordinarily long lockdown through Delta. And it was seen as a way of being able to ease the restrictions we'd had. Had we not used them, we would have uh, had the question of having to keep these blanket restrictions that affected everyone for longer. And people were saying, I'm vaccinated. Why can't I personally go out and do all of these things? And so the, the counterfactual is very hard 
to demonstrate. We used those tools so that we didn't have the alternative option. Uh, and uh, ultimately, I think uh, that means that a New Zealand's wider story will probably have to wait some time to be able to stand back and say, well, look, all told, this was the pain that the world experienced and here was New Zealand. So if you take, as you mentioned, we're still we're still in this, but if you do yeah. take a look back at the last two years, what do you think you got right? What do you think you got wrong? Oh, um, well, I think, you know, knowing that uh, we were operating with imperfect information. I mean, you know, in the beginning, gosh, one of the huge advantages we had was that possibly about a four-week uh, uh, lag for New Zealand versus other parts of the world. And we were using that critical four weeks to try and make decisions. But it, it was imperfect information that we were having to act on. So absolutely, there were things that you would do differently had you just had everything in front of you at the time. I think one of the things we got right was the decision, despite the World Health Organization saying to countries, don't use your borders in this way. I think that was the right decision. We wouldn't have been able to have that relative freedom for such a long period of time were we willing to do that and it was it was very hard for everyone but the alternative would have been um covid circulating without a vaccine what we got wrong oh you know i i, I do wish that there is a way that we could have come through these latter stages with um bringing more people with us and i think i i don't know what the answer to that is but that's what i i would have preferred that we would have been able to do that how I haven't quite landed on because again the flip side was was probably more generic restrictions affecting more people um, rather than targeted ones that affected a few but I'll probably think about that for for a long time. Look still on the list uh, to talk about I know uh, with cabinet is the mandates and the vaccine passes. Yeah. When will the mandates be lifted? Yes, yeah, so we've already said that uh, actually with that first wave, and it will be a first wave of Omicron, it does change once we come through that, it will be a different equation for us because the reason um, that, for instance, vaccine passes uh, were useful is they were a way to ensure that in those high-risk environments you were protecting also the unvaccinated um, from those high-risk environments. But actually, after a wave, more people will have been exposed to Omicron. We only have about 190,000 eligible people who aren't vaccinated, and we expect after this wave a, a number will have been exposed to COVID, and that gives us the ability to move away from having to use them at this time. So we'll be making decisions over the next week and signalling when we when we believe we can we can put them, uh, put them back in the toolbox and, and off the shelf for now. And are we expecting to see a move out of the red uh, traffic light level as well? Yeah, so what we're going to actually look at is whether or not all of the settings within red need to stay precisely as they are now. One of the things that this first wave has given us is a bit more data to look at what are the areas that are high risk and, and are we um, being too conservative in some areas we don't need to be. So we'll just do another assessment around what all the settings look like. And then um, as we come off our peak, assess when we can move down. That's the goal. Um, but at the moment, still hospitalisation is relatively high, still quite a bit of pressure on the system. So we just need to come out the other side of that. Uh, the health system, are you happy with the way it's coping at the moment? You know, we're hearing from DHBs and GPs that they're stretched to the limit, which isn't very reassuring for anybody needing care. Uh, and of course, we're heading into winter. So it's, the pressure is twofold. Um, uh, one is, of course, yes, um, hospitalisations and uh, uh, just 
you know, managing the additional influx alongside all of the other unplanned care that hospitals do. Uh, we've still been, uh, for the most part, with, with one exception, um, uh, uh, un well under capacity for um, ICU and uh, high dependency units. And actually the one exception, uh, that uh, hospital only had two COVID patients in ICU. They just had a number of other things that happened at the same time. Should we have been working harder over the last two years to make sure we had the staff? And I know that well, bringing staff yeah. into New Zealand wouldn't have looked great for Kiwis who were trying to travel back and forth to New Zealand, but should have that been a priority if we knew that our well, health system well, was so stretched? Well, two things. We, we've had it over the period we've been in government, we've had an additional, from memory, it's 3,000 nurses added to our health workforce. We have had a allocation within MIQ that is dedicated to critical health workers uh, in order to continue to try and grow that workforce. The government's legacy is going to be defined by COVID-19. How frustrating is that, um, that you've only been able to do, you know, part of what you were hoping to do as government? Actually, it was the, the first time that someone told me that my, my time in office was going to be defined by an event was actually March 15. Mm. Uh, and and then um, came the pandemic, uh, and you know I think it's it's really hit home for me. And I probably didn't appreciate this before I took this job. That uh, leadership is often what you're able to achieve in spite of the things that are unplanned. Uh, and you're right. I think people will over history, our time will be defined by this. Um, but if that means that we looked back on as a government that prioritised health in order to prioritise people's livelihoods as well and in order to prioritise their ability to stay and work and care for their families, if that's what we're known for, then I'm okay with that. But now we have to get us to a recovery point. And I'm very clear that now Kiwis accept where we are in this stage of the pandemic and now it's about our economic recovery as well and all of the impact that that's having on people's lives, cost of living and so on. And so we will keep pivoting, we will keep working, take that same focus now to that next, that next stage. And I'm not frustrated by that. That's the challenge of, of government. So we've got inflation, which is a, a yeah. big issue, and it is. the rising cost of uh, of living. We have an economy which uh, a lot of economists are saying are going to have a, is going to have a hard landing in the second half of this year. What are you going to do about it? Well, actually, I'm mean, looking at you know a lot of economists. It's actually saying it's predicting that in, inflation will start to ease over the later part of this year. But we're in this wicked perfect storm right now whereas economies around the world are recovering from COVID, it's putting extra um, uh, demand into the, uh, the global economy. We've got con uh, constrained supply. We've got um, choked supply chains. Uh, we've got a war that's causing an energy crisis. It is a, and that is affecting Kiwis' everyday lives. Uh, it is, it is a, a very difficult um, period that we're, that we're in as a country. But I'm also, I also see light. Um, our, our borders reopen over the next six weeks. That'll be a huge change for our tourism, hospitality and accommodation sectors. And when you see GDP growth, which um, we just saw at 3% uh, for the last quarter come through, the area where actually we were, we continue to be down are those areas where we can now predict that they will start to recover. And so I do see light. We just have to keep uh, supporting Kiwis through these hard patches doing everything we can, whether it's removing excise on fuel, whether it's our one April package of supporting lower middle income families to get through this next, next part. 
our job is is to cushion this period while we get to while we get to the light. Prime Minister, you you came um, into politics or, or into leadership with this this freshness of how you approach politics and a sense of authenticity. More recently, though, and probably after this last two years of COVID-19, the criticism has been more that you're inflexible or that you're not listening. Is that fair? Oh, look, I, ex- I expect... I expect to be critiqued, um, and we ha- and we should be. You know, a, a, a strong democracy uh, requires strong accountability. Um, you know, I, I think probably what I'd say is where people may interpret or, or view it as not listening. I absolutely, um, I hear, I see uh, the benefit of New Zealand's proximity between politicians as people. You know, I, I absolutely know when people disagree with what uh, I'm doing or we're doing. I absolutely do. But well, there will be times where actually uh, we will make a decision that people don't agree with. Uh, and the most important thing is that is so long as we're doing it because we believe it's the right thing to do, we, we have the privilege of being able to have all of the information in front of us. And, you know, time and time again, I've sat and made decisions and thought, I don't know that people will like this, but if in your heart of hearts you believe and seeing all of that evidence and research that it is still the right thing to do, um, then then you're left with a choice to do either what's unpopular but what's right or or not. So I won't have always got it right, but at the time I've always made the decisions that I've thought have been in the best interest. We talk about getting back to normal or a new normal. What, yeah. What is it? How has this pandemic changed New Zealand for the better or the worse, do you think? Yeah, I think at two levels, you know, I'm often reminded, actually, the first person who said this to me was Professor David Skegg, where we were talking about what new normal looks like, particularly as it relates to international travel. And he made a really good point. You know, after 9-11, the way that we moved around the world changed fundamentally. I was a student in um, Arizona. Uh, studying at Arizona State University when 9-11 happened. And I still remember the difference between when I travelled to the US pre-9-11 and when I left. And uh, it felt like nothing would be the same ever again. And yet over time, uh, that just became integrated into the way that we did things. Uh, We barely would notice now that at the airports, we fundamentally have a different experience than we used to as a result. Uh, And I think the same will be said for this pandemic. There will be parts of the way that we live that will change forever, but we'll also climatise to that. You know, it might be in the future that alongside biosecurity measures, we do have some health screening measures at our airports. And we may in the long run be better off as a result, but we also probably will stop noticing. And so at the practical level, that's that's what I think a, a new normal in the long term may begin to feel like. As a country, um, has it changed us? I think every experience that you have, war will have changed our, um, you know, our grandparents and our great grandparents. The pandemic will probably change us and our kids. But I hope that the change will see is, as a country, when we had choices to make around what we'd do, it was actually a bit of a given that we would take a collective approach. And yes, we're tired now, and people are tired. And it does mean that, you know, that it can feel a bit like it's fraying. But I still think that fundamental belief that we had a job to look after each other still stands. Finally, Prime Minister, as you mentioned, you know, under your watch, you've gone through two very major, major issues. 
no one would uh, blame you if you decided it was time to take a break. So do, will you still be Prime Minister at the next election? Will you be contesting oh, the next election? Well, of course, voters decide that as opposed to me. But, but you will, know, you, I think will you be there? I've no, I've no plans to change my current um, career. Uh, it has been tough. Um, but I also see this as both the privilege and responsibility of leadership. Uh, and it is a privilege. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it this morning. Thanks a lot.